0: Howdy, my name is Orville Peck, I am a country and western singer, uh, country superstar, gay icon, just kidding, (laughs) Uh, I'm just your regular masked cowboy singing songs about uh, being dumped by men.
1: Well, it's lovely to meet you. Yeah, welcome to the next episode of Introducing and thank you for your softly spoken feedback about the girls from Wet Leg last week. How fun were they? Very softly spoken though. Bit of a change of pace for you today because, well, this, this bike has got a voice on him. The baritone of the country crooner. Gay icon, some would say. The masked cowboy. I'm talking about Orville Peck. Now, you've probably seen this guy. This is how I first came to realize who he was. I saw him first, listened to him second. His first album, Pony, was massive. Then came Show Pony. He's back in Australia touring. His proudest work to date. The beautifully personal work that is Bronco. Now, I saw him in Sydney on Wednesday night. Guilty. Got a few beers after the show. And I'm a cowboy now. It's official. I'm wearing my tassels. I haven't made it to the masked the uh, Stage yet But I'm wearing tassels He's selling out All over Australia He's playing Splendour In the grass He's a South African born Bloke that spent Some time in Canada And London now Calls LA home He's a contradiction Of characters I think you're gonna love this I love this chat He told me this was The second podcast That he's ever done So that's gotta mean Something right Enjoy Sit back Relax Orville Peck Lift the room Put your simple while we were setting up, we're, we're sitting at, at the record company um, in Sydney at the moment, and I've never seen a rider looking quite like a 12-year-old's birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> you're dragging
0: life. me. No, you're right. It's very true. We, I love candy. Uh, <laughs> What's
1: what your go-to? You're eating the gummy bears, I see, as soon as I walked yeah,
0: in. Yeah, I ate the gummy bears. Uh, I ate some of the... the Nobby's snack mix, but mostly not the nuts, like the other kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like the crunchy things. Nobby's nuts are
1: a very, I think they're a very big Australian thing. Yeah. Get I your hands off Nobby's nuts, I, I think was the, <laughs> it used to be the, the slogan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do like Tim Tams, but I haven't opened those up yet.
1: And I love your, like we were just talking as well. You've just come from doing Rage. You're going to be guest programming Rage mm-hmm. and you knew what that was.
0: Yeah, of course. Rage is, uh, well, I mean, we didn't have it in South Africa, but I- you know, this crossover there, at least I'm sure no one, like most people in North America probably don't know Rage, but yeah. I, yeah, I, I had a V, I had a bootleg VHS of, uh, L7, you know, like the nineties grunge band of yeah. just random interviews and stuff of theirs. I don't even know who compiled this, but, um, and yeah, they're in, they hosted Rage in the nineties and their entire Rage episode was on this VHS. So. That's how I knew about it.
1: I love that. Well, yeah. well, let's let's talk about that. So, South Africa via Canada. Lived in London for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you basing yourself now, or are you just a man of the world? No, I'm finally settled down now. I live in Los Angeles. Yeah,
0: I bought a house, which is really crazy.
1: A ran Are you on a ranch? Tell me you're on a ranch.
0: I'm not on a ranch, <laughs> but it's probably a. It's pretty close to the vibe. I mean, I joke it looks like a bougie Cracker Barrel. If you guys know what that is, it's like uh, Cracker Barrel is like. Um, it's, what's like a, what's kind of like a chain
1: diner here? Oh, um, like a, like a Denny's type. Yeah, okay.
0: It's like Denny's, but yeah. it's like country themed. Yes. So it's like, and you can, they have a whole gift shop in the front where you can buy like, you know, like things that have wagon wheels on it. And yeah, that right. sort of Okay. Thing. Yeah, okay. But it's, it's really, it's like you know, I don't know if, uh, how do I put it? People wouldn't call it like, you know, it's not winning any Michelin stars (laughs) anytime soon. Let's just say that, you know, but uh, my house kind of looks like a bougie cracker barrel, which I I like that. Yeah. (laughs) I like that.
1: Yeah. And um, have you been to Australia before?
0: I have, I came here in 20, well, we came in the very beginning of 2020, right before the pandemic hit.
1: Because um, on my last episode, we were just chatting to the girls from Wet Leg, um, who are going to be playing Splendour with you, well, not with you, but you know, at the same mm-hmm. time-ish yeah. as you, and I had to apologize for the weather, because I've just come back from Glastonbury, the sun was shining, people are skipping around, it's 22 degrees there, and they're not wearing any shirts, they're loving life, and it hasn't stopped raining here, so apologies for that.
0: No, it's okay. I, I was looking forward to going to the beach, and then it, it, like stupidly, I wasn't thinking about the fact that it's winter yeah. uh, until about a week before we got here. So
1: yeah. Well, tell us then why with this rich kind of history of living everywhere and and, and growing up in South Africa, why country music, which I, I know you get asked all the time, but if you wouldn't mind indulging me. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I grew up listening to all sorts
0: of music, but I always loved, well, first of all, the imagery of cowboys. My grandfather uh, on my dad's side, my dad's dad, he was a like a uh, a sheriff on horseback. He was a cop uh, and he rode a horse and I was always obsessed with cowboys and the idea of kind of this solitary, sort of antihero that their loneliness and their sort of mysterious nature was sort of their power rather than their weakness because I think I felt really lonely and weird <laughs> when I was a kid. So I related to the cowboy imagery. Uh, and then I fell in love with Dolly Parton when I was little. Um, with her music and her whole performance and the kind of larger than life personality that she showed through sincerity. And I think I found that really interesting. Uh, and then, yeah, that kind of just went on to Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, uh, Hank Williams, you know, so on, so on. And then I just, as I got older, I would get more and more into different facets of country music. Um, but yeah, I I wouldn't say it's huge in South Africa. There's definitely a country music scene there for sure. Um, but Yeah, I just, I always loved it. I I played in all sorts of bands before, but... I always wanted to be a country singer. And then I just finally kind of decided to do it one day.
1: So is the mystery that attracted you to, to the kind of the, the cowboy uh, a reason for the mask as well? Because I mean, I'm only speaking for myself here. It was your imagery that attracted me to you first. And then I found the music second. It wasn't yeah. the other way around because well, tell us about, obviously it's a podcast, so we can't see, but <laughs> tell us for people who don't know about the mask and then maybe the reasons behind.
0: Um. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I wear a mask that's been sort of maybe, compared to something like the Lone Ranger, I, I guess. But that makes a lot of sense because I loved the, the the Lone Ranger when I was a kid. Um, I guess my idea of cowboys when I was little was, you know, there's photos of me with a cowboy hat on, eight years old, and I have a handkerchief around my face, you know, because yeah. I think in my mind... Cowboys were always portrayed as sort of outlaws and had to cover their faces. Um, well, Ned Kelly's our big one. Yeah, you know, exactly. The, yeah,
1: his was a lot harder to get around like, him. <laughs> right. Like to be a teen rubbish band <laughs> being with a an eye hole cut in it. No, but <laughs> he like- Yours looks more flexible. But that's the thing
0: is like, my in my mind, the trope of the cowboy had to come with some sort of form of, I suppose, anonymity for lack of a better word, or maybe just holding back a little bit, which- it's interesting in the connection between, you know, I've I've thought more about this in retrospect, obviously now. Um, but there is an interesting element to why there are like these imageries of of cowboys covering their faces and wearing masks, like the Lone Ranger or whatever it might be, these outlaws. Um because I think the trope of the cowboy is also about having a lot of emotion and holding back on it a little bit, you know? Like yeah. uh, which the mask is funny because that's sort of part of the vibe, but um, sorry, I don't even remember what you asked me. <laughs> no, no, It's why the mask. And no, it's this perfect. Oh, at, yeah. at, it was why the mask. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, that's was, that was my sort of artistic and kind of pure childhood expression of what the trope and the, the sort of camp high art trope of what the cowboy is, was I had to have a mask on it, you know? And I think as a fan of country music, you know, you look at something like Dolly Parton's wigs and her outfits, like that's sort of the same thing, but you combine that with sincerity and that's kind of what country music is for me. It's like the combination of boldness and theatricality and storytelling, but with ultra sincerity and ultra, you know, kind of, uh, vulnerability and that those things can exist in art together is really cool to me that they don't have to, you know, be sort of mutually exclusive, I think. Um, so I liked that, and I also just thought there wasn't any kind of I don't know, maybe country sort of David Bowie or uh, Grace Jones or like someone who just took everything to the next level with regards to the presentation of it and the aesthetic of it. And um, I just I don't like to be bored, you know. By <laughs> <laughs> yeah. art, I mean I like I I don't want to be boring, and I don't want to bore myself. And I love film, and I love fashion, and I love all these different elements of what you can do as a musician. Like it doesn't just begin and end with a song for me,
1: you know, like that wouldn't be enough. Especially me. now, especially in Australia, I'm not sure about the rest of the world, but it feels like the nineties are really coming back where you don't care about the fashion much. It's baggy jeans. You flannel shirt, yeah. You don't give a shit attitude, which is fine like too. But the funny thing is, is, is that attitude your- is so giving a shit, <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: no, you know, but like, yeah. I mean, I went through that stage <laughs> too, for sure. I, I used to play in, you know, like punk bands and grunge bands. And I was like, you know, would never have been, caught dead thinking I would have a stylist and you know like someone who dresses me up and I go on stage wearing like you know outfits and costumes essentially but um I just got over myself on that where I was you know I'm, I'm more intrigued about making art and enjoying what I do than caring what other people think about it
1: quickly back to growing up um I'm assuming it was a musical household not just Dolly Parton and things but but I, I also saw that you did a lot of voiceovers because I, I do voiceovers too but I don't think as interesting as the ones that you did I I do like more out now on DVD or oh, yeah. free small fries and a free small coat. <laughs> But you, you were doing voiceovers for, for TV and things, weren't you? Yeah. Growing up. Um, That's crazy.
0: Yeah. My dad's a sound engineer. And so when I was really little from when I was about 10 years old, I would do voiceover for, yeah, like cartoons and uh, TV and um, all sorts of things. Uh, I, I, for a long time, I was the English voice of a lot of, really big German film and TV. Oh yeah. They would dub it into English Yeah, like their English channel. Yeah. So I won't say the shows, but there's like huge shows that were like massively popular in Germany where I did the English voice of them and no one knows oh, it. Oh, that we have to find that.
1: Okay, that's, thank goodness for fine. the internet. But it's my big claim to fame when I'm in Germany. I'll
0: like, I'll drop one of the titles and people are shook
1: about it. <laughs> I think I met once like the German Jerry Seinfeld, the guy who was Amazing, like, yeah. You know, it's the, that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's huge. Um, so what was there, uh, what came first for you? Because obviously you're a fan- like uh, you're incredible, um, you, like you can play instruments beautifully too. Was it that first? And then, cause you're, you also talked about songwriting and storytelling. Was that what is is that how you wanted it to be? Uh, writing songs first, or was it you being able to play instruments that thought, oh, I could turn this storytelling into songs?
0: Uh, definitely the storytelling first. I didn't, <clears throat> you know, I, I, uh, I've only really conceded recently that I know how to play guitar.
1: Um, I read I, an interview with you in a guitar <laughs> magazine, <yeah. laughs> and they will ask you very technical questions. Uh, but you were more a DIY, I guess. I don't know shit about playing guitar in that way. <laughs> I don't know if I can curse on you. Um, of course no, you can. Uh, uh, It's a podcast. You can say whatever yeah, you want. Like,
0: uh, I always joke with members of my band. You know, they'll be like, They'll be like, okay, it's like a, I can't even think of an example to joke about. Uh, like- <laughs> they'll e? be like, yeah. No, I mean, you know, like I know enough, but sometimes they'll get a bit technical where they're like yeah. talking about something really technical musically. And I have, n- I'm just lost. Like I have no idea what anyone's talking about. were you playing
1: a guitar with no A string for a while? And- yes.
0: <laughs> well, no, no, it was, um, <laughs> yeah, that is right. My father's guitar when I was, well, when I was a kid, cause I didn't, I just taught myself really, you know? Mm. When I was little, my dad had this beautiful Ibanez acoustic that I actually, I, I still play whenever I'm at their house and I've written a lot of songs on it. But for for like years, it didn't have the E string and I didn't know how to change the strings. And my dad was always <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll pick a pack of strings up and get around. And it like never, we just like never get round to it. Yeah. So I learned without even like the bottom like the high E string, Oh, the high E, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. On on the guitar, but...
1: Because for uh, your voice, I would assume you need the, the low E Yes, there. definitely.
0: No, but um, I just kind of made it up as I went along, which I think is the best, I think the best way to approach things um, is to kind of go into them not, having a wealth of technical experience. We I can find. always pick a
1: classically trained person versus a non. And I'm not, yeah. I'm the, there's nothing bad about Listen, that. I live for classically back, trained back people because they help
0: me with the stuff I can't do. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Which is really important too. But
1: no, I think I it admired like the double bass players getting on the train on the way to school. You know, <laughs> right. yeah. like you're, you're looking to pursue this after school. I can see
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also just the kind of person since I was little, I hate to be told what to do. I, I'm not a good student, but I'm, Cause I don't, I like to find my own way of doing things. And I like to, I love to learn, but I hate to be taught, Yeah, you know? So I like to, I like to learn on my own and discover on my own. Um, which is funny because nowadays I think I like teaching. Like I like, uh, I like teaching other people. Or, like, providing a perspective for other people that might be doing something that I could help with. But I, yeah, I hate to learn. I hate to be
1: taught, but I love to learn. Yeah. Well, the, I can see Orville Peck just on a school building somewhere. <laughs> I'm not sure. The Orville Peck School of what? I'm not sure. What am I teaching? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what I'm like, that, that is yet to be decided. Mm-hmm. But it's a great name for a school or even just the, the annex of a school yeah, or, or a building. I can or, see it. Yeah. Um, what do you notice about, cause, cause country music to me is quite, um, well, uh, for even living in Australia, you kind of look to the, the big American stars and, and no disrespect to Australian country, but a lot of the Australian country music is songs like, yeah, I like beer or that's my woman hands off type scenarios. Yeah. Um, have you, have you seen much Australian music, uh, country music that you kind of, uh are into or does, or is it, a, what's the scene? What are the scenes like around the world? I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say, cause it yes. feels to me like they're completely different. Well, you just different. described
0: what the massive country scene in America sounds like as well. Right. Okay. Every like radio country song, it's like a huge joke that you either have to be singing about a truck <laughs> or beer yeah. or like a red dirt road. Right. 98% of them are, you know, straight white men singing about the exact same things and whatever it is. And the music doesn't even sound country really. Yeah. Right? It's
1: like, well, there's that slide bit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like they chuck something, they chuck something on there and they like call it a day or whatever, but yeah. it's not really country and it's not really storytelling either. It's just, you know, it's sort of just minimal effort, low hanging fruit nonsense about, I don't know, like freedom and whatever else. Um, Like, I mean, like patriotic freedom. Mm. Uh, That's the general sense of kind of like mainstream country, I think around the world probably. Um, But there is a huge, especially these days, which is great, influx into more of the mainstream country world of genuinely good songwriters, storytellers, pers- perspectives. I mean, just for for starters, you know, uh, non-white, non-straight, god, non-male, you know, like in country in America, there's a huge disparity even still about female artists. I think it's out of every 14 songs on the radio, on country radio, one of those is a female artist or something like that. Yeah. I and mean, the disparity is like nuts. Yeah. Never mind getting into like black country artists, never mind gay country artists of which there are now uh like four of us that I think I know of in America openly gay <laughs> um, wow. that are being played on, like, the radio, yeah. you
1: know. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot. Because well, even from an outsider, I noticed that Lil Nas X, when he did Old Town Road, like, that was he was copying it from – like not only bringing hip hop into country, but I don't think he was even out then potentially. For no, Old yeah, Town he Road. wasn't. Yeah. But there was certainly, it was a camp film clip and you've, you've mm-hmm. got Billy Ray Cyrus involved. Yeah. And it was like, my worlds are colliding. Yeah. Like, really crazy. From, an out, from from sitting down here, it looked like that was, and that wasn't that long ago. What? That was a two or three years ago. No. That track. I mean, so it feels uh, quite fresh still.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. And then as far as, you know, there's a, there's a, there are obviously many openly gay and queer country artists and always have been, uh, I would say that on the mainstream level now, people who are getting songs on the radio, sort of thing. I mean, it's really, it's like maybe three of us, you know, which is crazy in the grand scheme of things. I mean, that's. Do you not, feel
1: a responsibility for that, or? Uh, yeah, but I yeah. feel it.
0: I feel it happily. I mean, Good. Yeah. I think I didn't know when. I mean, I'm the. I grew up in a family and with sort of a, I suppose, almost like a. Um, an emotional privilege of sorts that I had a really loving, um, accepting family where I didn't have to really worry about my sexuality affecting what I wanted to do with my life. And so I've always been openly gay pretty much since I was little. And it, it never occurred to me that that would stop me from being anything I wanted to be, uh, including a country singer. And so I started... When I started writing country songs and singing as a country singer, I didn't, I didn't even have to think about like, okay, you 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 have to either censor the this part of yourself or you know make a, a conscious effort to include it. I mean, I was just doing what everyone does, which is write about your experiences or love or whatever. And mine happened to be with men, you know what I mean. So um, then, when I learned that it was this big visibility for many many people that I was doing that, and it gave a lot of those people uh, inclusion in a genre that they maybe didn't ever feel a part of an inclusion in a genre that they used to feel a part of, but felt ostracized from visibility, diversity, and I all these amazing things. Uh, it did become a responsibility, but I'm, it's one that I'm really proud of and happy to take on. Um, cause I've now learned it matters so much to other people more so than it even matters to me, to be honest about my visibility being in country music. I I think I do it more because I see how much it matters to a lot of other people.
1: Yeah. Do you remember when your parents came to see you live for the first time? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, my parents grew up watching me perform every single day of my life right. in the living room. Really. <laughs> yeah, okay. well, well, let, let's say uh, professionally then, where, where people were handing um, money over to see you. Yes. <laughs> I
0: mean, of course, they've. my parents have been to, you know, tons of my shows now and really supportive. They were at the very first show we played uh, to very few people. They've been at shows when there've been maybe like five people there. And then, you know, they've also been to shows where we're playing to... I don't know. Yeah. Like festivals we were playing to 50,000 people or, st- you know, crazy shows we've done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When, um, Shania Twain jumped up for legends never die. Was that a nice little endorsement as well? Like for not that you needed it, but again, for, for people who are maybe criticizing you or that was that a great moment. Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: I mean, I think for a long time, especially in America country, it's so funny. Um, you know, for instance, like you'll see Two sort of um, people in country music love to say what's country and what's not, and the reasons don't seem to ever really make sense to reply because it's sort. Of, it comes down to things that they're not really saying. So, for instance, like on a song of mine, you'll see like two negative comments that say one will say this isn't country, there's no country instruments on it, and then right below it will say you can't just put banjo on this song and call it country. And so, <laughs> right. you know, like, and the Isn't funny the internet, <laughs> right? So, self confidence. But like for the the real funny thing is like the sad thing is what, and I've talked about this a lot with, you know, other sort of quote unquote marginalized country singers that I know in whatever way. But um, the sad thing is what those, both those people are really saying is we don't want this to be country because he's gay. Uh, and they're looking for other ways to, to say that, say that yeah. without saying that. And yeah. none of it really adds up until they really just admit that that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah. But yeah. So, you know, I think the thing that was lovely about Shania being so into it and, you know, it was massively from her side. Uh, I would have never even, I've been a Shania fan my whole life, but I would have never dreamed that she would have wanted to do a song with me. I mean, especially at the time I was still relatively pretty unknown and, um, yeah, Her kind of signing off in a sense, it gives it validity in a way. Um, and I think she related to that. Well, I know she related to it because when Shania first came on the scene in Nashville, everyone was telling her that she wasn't country because you know she was showing her stomach and that wasn't what women in country were supposed to do. And she was uh, writing songs that were sort of more pop tunes and that wasn't what they were supposed to be doing. And she was singing about you know, indecent things and whatever it was supposed to be. and But I mean, if it wasn't for Shania, like, you know, you wouldn't have half the influences and in the artists that are in country music today.
1: Yeah. You know? So let's talk about the first album. What went With Pony, was it a clear vision for you or, did, or was this uh, years and years and years of, of work that just took it all out of you? And at the end of it, you're like, I, how can, I, can I do this again? Or, or was it a very clear vision and obviously led to where you are today? Yeah, for Pony,
0: it was interesting. I had quit making music for about six years. I had gone back to acting and to other things, and I moved away to London and lived there for five or six years. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I knew that I could play music uh, and write songs and sing. I knew that I could be an actor. I knew that I could be a dancer. I'd done all of these professions separately pretty successfully at different times. Um, But always sort of a bit inauthentically out of insecurity of like really anybody trying to figure it out. I suppose I was always trying to be employable or a version of myself that was likable. You have to be a triple threat. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, just whatever it was, you know, (laughs) like when I was an actor, I was like walking into auditions thinking like, what version of myself do I need to be to get this job? Or even when I was playing in bands, I think I loved playing The music I was playing, but I was always showing up kind of inauthentically, like trying to be maybe a nervous version of someone I wasn't, you know, like nervously trying to be a version of someone I wasn't uh, for fear of rejection or fear of being vulnerable. Um, And then, yeah, when I was living in London, something just dawned on me where I was probably exhausted of being anything but myself, bored of being and making the kind of, bored of not making the kind of art I wanted to make. And it dawned on me that I could just do everything I like rolled into one and that it was going to be not only enough, but like my favorite thing I ever did. And yeah, it made me passionate about music again. It made me passionate about everything. And I kind of just combined all of my sort of skills or talents or whatever that I'd worked on since I was very little and put them into something that was also heaped in sincerity and vulnerability and just authenticity. And so it's, it kind of, all came together in, like, the perfect storm to be, you know, what I do now, I guess.
1: Was there a moment when that album came out that you realised things are pretty serious now? Like, things have blown up, as they say here in Australia. That's a good thing, by the way. Yeah. Things Uh, are blowing up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I remember Diplo took me to the Grammys
0: as his date in (laughs) 2020. That is a Uh, great sentence, by the way, just uh, on its own. (laughs) uh Uh-huh. And, like, for no reason, really, you know, (laughs) other than the fact that he just wanted to... um, (laughs) which was, like, crazy. Actually, that's where I met Shania. That's where uh, I met, you know, Smokey Robinson, Tanya Tucker, like, idols I'd looked up to my whole life, people coming up to me, knowing who I was, talking to me about my music. I mean, it was, like, a pretty good imposter syndrome killer, for sure, (laughs) doing that. yeah. Uh, Yeah, there were a few moments, and then just slowly watching my own shows just every venue getting bigger every tour getting bigger selling out every show um you know watching people get now i've seen god i don't know 2000 tattoos of me on people uh you know like it's yeah. it's nuts like it's definitely and i say it almost <laughs> i feel silly talking about it in this way because it almost sounds um it almost sounds like uh what's the word i like boasting or something but it's because i'm so I just never expected it so truthfully I just like never anticipated any of it so I think I get to look at it almost objectively with everyone else too where I feel like I'm like yeah what the fuck it's, g- yeah. it's crazy you know yeah. <laughs> like
1: but I noticed a lot though I, I just came back from Glastonbury and I noticed a lot of the big bands as well and the big performers now are the, the most authentic right so there's a band uh, an Australian band called Amel and the Sniffers yeah, and they played on Sunday at Glastonbury and they're singing very Australian things some very Australian and then um, Fontaine's DC very you know like there's some they're, they're singing really from the heart, but yet appealing to the entire world. Yeah. I kind of maybe used to be you have to kind of be this to this to this to be successful. And now I think being yourself is is all we need. Yeah, and I think
0: <clears throat> it's funny, I think um I think we have these like secular periods in art where people sort of get tired of inauthenticity. And I think we're going through that. I think authenticity is kind of back in style. And I think even really sort of like the average basic music listener, like you don't have to be like some audiophile or some like deep cut person. I think even the average person that consumes art of any kind, I think we don't give them enough credit for what is like their ability to see like transparently, like what isn't sincere and what is. Um, And especially since I think now everything's so inundated with like, TikTok and content creating and like whatever the fuck all of that is I think people are exhausted by it and I think people can see that it's not sincere most of the time and that it's not genuinely moving anybody or or doing anything and so I think when something comes along that is sincere at least in my opinion it's like such a goddamn relief first Mm -hmm. of all like I almost feel like it's so refreshing that I can't help but enjoy it or at least give it some proper attention and like a, a real kind of mull it over. You know what I mean?
1: Well, I guess that is the beauty of, of the internet now as well. There's a lot wrong with streaming, I think, in terms of what it's done to music, but I think there's a lot right with it as well for people who were only just getting what they were told on yeah. via the radio and, and rage Yeah. Um, to now going in an Orville Peck wormhole. And then if we start getting into you, then we go, Oh, you might also like this person. Then all of a sudden you're listening to yeah. three different people you'd never heard of a hundred
0: percent. And that's the way it used to be. And that's the way I think it should be. I think you have to, I, I don't think, you know, I don't subscribe to any sort of elitism or pretension regarding art ever, but I do think you should have to work a little harder at finding what you like because I think that investigation and that process, it you know, it builds uh, critical thinking to do with music and it builds a brain where you think, well, what are these lyrics about? And what is this song trying to say? And what is this referencing? And is this a reference to another song? Is this a, I mean, I think that's the best way to look at music as opposed to just kind of you know the the disposable sort of trash that we've all become inundated <laughs> with over yeah. the last you know five years. I'm not calling anyone out in particular. No, no, I mean, no, 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 listen, no, no. I, it's, I, it's I don't I love Bob too. General. You know, <laughs> of like, course, of course. but it's like it's getting a little exhausting. <laughs> where it's like, Jesus Christ, like I, I you know, I miss artists. Like, yeah. I, I just mi- I miss people who like to genuinely make
1: art um whatever that may be yeah I think something struck me when 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 Prince passed away and we all said isn't it great we never knew what he ate for breakfast Uh, I didn't know what his uh you know daughter's name was if he even had a daughter like you know what I mean like he was just a person that was in your face at the moment that he burst onto the scene but you didn't know like what he really liked and and that's good
0: totally I mean yeah and I think it's so funny you know like everyone all musicians are big complaint right now is like a lot of the record labels and everyone they're always trying to make us make TikToks <laughs> and content, and I keep laughing because I'm like, yes, I make content. It's called fucking music. Yeah, like we that is my content. We're just, having that, content. We were just like- having
1: that conversation in the car here. I, my, I, I work on radio as my day job, and they say the same thing. They go, "Well, we need more from you on social media." I'm like, I'm. On air for three hours Literally. live a day. That like, is, that- I make. I just wrote an album.
0: Like now, you what you now you need me to go and do. I didn't like, film you doing going the, walking to walk into the airport. Yeah. Now I need to go do like a dance on TikTok. Like you're fucking mental. Like I, I'm not do. And I'm I don't want to do it. Period. I do need like. to see more of you at
1: airport lounges online. I'm not gonna lie, and more of the backstage writer stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm listen. I'm down to do whatever. But like, yeah, yeah. There's so much
0: focus put in the wrong direction.
1: You know. Yes. It's just like man. Mm. I don't know. Um, uh, Let's talk about Bronco because I did read a lot, and you might have to translate this for an Australian audience about a sophomore slump. Uh huh. Um, Is that second album blues or the second album curse or what is what is that sophomore slump? Yeah,
0: there's a term about a sophomore slump. So you know, there's this curse that happens to some artists where, especially if you have a, you know, a reasonably successful first kind of debut album, um, a lot of times people kind of bomb the second album and then, you know, they say that that, like, loses your whole fan base because everyone thinks you're just, like, a you have, like, a one-hit situation yes. or whatever. <clears throat> and it's funny because I think it can be, like, a double-edged sword even, even acknowledging it because then it's, like, you're putting this pressure where it has to be at least as good as your first album or better or like, you know, and it kind of probably sends you in completely the wrong direction. But yeah, that's what they call the sophomore slump is if your second album kind of bombs, which is fairly common for some people.
1: Well, luckily that hasn't happened. (laughs) But but was that going through your mind when you were writing it? And and Uh,
0: Well, this is what's interesting is it was going through my mind heavily before the pandemic hit. Oh yeah, that little Um, thing. (laughs) I was on tour like 200 days a year and just like, burning myself out completely and unhappy in my personal life, unhappy in my career. Like after Pony, I was super, super unhappy, but still working like a crazy person. And then um, the pandemic hit and I, you know, did a whole bunch of life changes, uh, left a really awful relationship, um, changed the way I think about, a personal life, the way I was treating myself, the way I was, um, really just not loving myself and also surrounding myself with other people who weren't loving or taking care of me either. And just being really treating myself really badly all the while working as hard as I possibly could. So kind of just heading for disaster really. Um, the, so then the pandemic hit and I, I changed all that and I kind of reset myself in a huge way. I almost stopped making music cause I was you know sort of over it at that point and then I started to think about I was really depressed one day and I was like man what the last time I was even close to something this like dark was I guess when I was probably like a teenager and feeling really depressed when you know as, as we do as teenagers sometimes um and I was like what helped me back then and I remembered it was writing music and playing music and I was like fuck I've i fucked up the only thing that used to make me feel better. And then (laughs) I I I realized, I was like, well, actually back then, the thing that made me feel good about it was that I wasn't writing music for anybody except myself. I was sitting in my bedroom with no expectation of like an audience or a record label or whatever else, this all this other junk that we get bogged down with now as professional musicians or whatever. Um, And so I went back to this kind of just really, I mean, it sounds so cringe and, (laughs) So cliche, but I mean, I really just went back to this pure place of writing music for myself and enjoying it and using it as actually catharsis and therapy from this awful period I had been in. And that's why that's what Bronco is. I mean, I would have never written Bronco if it wasn't for the pandemic ever. It would have been a sophomore slump. I'm sure of it. It would have been a rushed album that I wrote in between exhausting touring probably with the mindset of being worried about what other people were going to think about it or what my record label
1: would think. On a what. gummy bear hangover. Yeah,
0: like, I mean, it literally, <laughs> it, it would have been, it would have probably been a pretty shit album and probably not as good as Pony. And the thing I love about Bronco is, in, you know, for me, in my opinion, it is my favorite thing I've ever done. It's the it's the first thing I've ever been truly proud of, which was part of that process as well. Um, and it's it's just my absolute favorite Thing I'm so incredibly proud of it and I'm, it's, it, yeah, the pandemic saved my life. I mean, truthfully.
1: Wow. That's, well, that's good to hear. There is yeah. some positive yeah. <laughs> pandemic news out there. Mm-hmm. I think the song city of gold was quite even, that was almost too vulnerable for you, wasn't it? To put on the album.
0: <laughs> yeah. I almost didn't put it on. And actually it's funny. That's that song. Yeah. That song is about, uh, it's about my, my, well, a lot of my, a lot of Bob Bronco is kind of about, um, just this really unhappy relationship I was in for a long time and how I was treating myself in it and how I was being treated in it. And yeah, City of Gold is kind of like a, it's a song that I wrote with no intention of it actually ever being on any album or anything. I wrote it sort of just as like a confessional exercise to myself to sort of um, confront a lot of things about that relationship. And I wasn't ever really intending anybody to read those lyrics. (laughs) Um, And then I played it for my band when we were in the studio and I was like, just ignore the lyrics and whatever. But I like the melody. We can change it. We can add all this other stuff to it. And I'm going to change the hook and the lyrics and whatever. And everyone was like, well, it's pretty. We like it, you know, like it's we think it's really good. And I was like, no, 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 like no way. No way in hell. Then I kind of conceded that I was like, okay. I'll sing these lyrics, but we, I want to make it really different, like more of a Kalahari down, like big and lush and, you know, lots of stuff on there. And then the producer Jay in the studio, he kind of, we kept talking about adding more to that song. And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we left it till I think one of the last songs we recorded and he was like, I want you just to sit down. Uh, he told me to, play it over and over until i just felt like i was like in my bedroom alone in one take you know like just i I think i think i played it like 14 times in a row and then that one that ended up is like the final take i did and it's it's just one you know one take with like i think we just overdubbed some a little bit of pedal steel on after for some like texture but uh yeah it was it's still kind of one of the hardest songs for me to be able to listen to on the album because I feel just kind of mortified. By it. Um, do you play it? Do you
1: play it live or is it that we have to play it live <laughs> That's too but, much, but maybe, maybe
0: I'll do it soon. Cause, uh,
1: yeah, I do. I love it as a song. It, well, it, I'm coming to the show tomorrow night. Maybe I'll hold up a song.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> My band will be grateful because everyone will get to leave the stage and I'll just be up there alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you are playing um, Sydney and Melbourne, sold out, Splendour in the Grass, which is fantastic. Um, actually, where you're playing at the Enmore Theatre tomorrow night, you've probably been told about it already, but there's a store called Route 66, literally been. about oh, 100 metres down the road. But I've been there.
0: Have you? The the cowboy store. Yeah. Yeah, I was there last time we were here. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I went and bought a It I would be weird if you didn't know about it. Yeah, yeah. great. Uh, no, and I, I think they I think they all came over to the show last time when we played.
1: But yeah, I'll definitely have to go there. there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, it's been amazing to meet you. And and how we've finished the podcast is called Introducing. So I've introduced people to you. And if you would like to introduce us to someone you're listening to, or take your time, it's a question without notice, but who, who are you loving at the moment, an artist that you've got a, a huge amount of time for, respect for?
0: Um wh- well, there's a few really great young country artists that are making genuinely good country and I'm so thrilled about that it's like (laughs) so nice to have peers that you like (laughs) in the genre but um someone that I just think is so incredible is Charlie Crockett I'm not sure if you've heard of him but I've heard I've heard the name yeah. yeah he's a he's a country musician and he's from Texas but he he lived all over like New Orleans and he brings a really specific style of it's almost like a combination of old school country with like New Orleans kind of like troubadour jazz. It's so incredible. He's actually a descendant of Davy Crockett, like the actual Davy Crockett. Maybe that's
1: the name I'd heard. Right, right. <laughs> I'd heard Crockett.
0: <laughs> but, uh, oh, fantastic. I, yeah, I had him open up at my, my rodeo at Red Rocks last year. So he's amazing. I love Charlie. So if you haven't heard of Charlie Crockett, I would say please check out Charlie Crockett.
1: Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. Thanks so much for your time. You too, and thank can't you. wait to see the shows. Yeah, thanks, man.